Hey, this morning I want to continue on where we kicked into last week as we uh, spent time in Philippians 2 working on the issue or the invitation of Jesus of being connected to him and how humility is the way of the kingdom in the earth. And uh, we tried to start to put some good picture around what humility is and what humility isn't. And the way that we did that was we unpacked and described humility as Paul was talking about it. And at the same time, we also drew some understanding about what the, uh, what the nature and the work of pride is in the human heart, which is what God has to conquer with his love and his invitation so that we can enter into the fullness of a humble life. And um, <clears throat> last week I started with an illustration of, of uh, Fonzie, uh, Fonzie from the TV series Happy Days when I was a young lad. And I used to watch Fonzie every afternoon, thinking he was pretty awesome because he had a black leather jacket. But uh, one of the great for- failures that was very evident about Fonzie's life was his inability to say two phrases. The first being, I'm sorry, and the second being, um, I'm wrong. Those two things Fonzie was never able to say. <laughs> he'd, get, he'd get tongue-tied, he'd get stuck, and that's because he couldn't bring his heart to a place where he'd actually acknowledge that I am wrong or I do need to apologise here. And, um, you know, I, I shared about how the Lord said to me, you know, they, those two phrases... Those two phrases are my gift to the world. I'm sorry and I'm wrong. You know, one of the things I've discovered about my own life is I hate, you know, on the surface of things, I hate to eat humble pie. I just hate it. I'm not sure what your life is like, but for me, when I have to eat pie all the time, it's kind of like, really? Really? I thought I'd been here, Lord. Really? I've got to go there again? And, and then the Lord will bring people into my life in such a way that he's inviting me to eat some more pie. And by pie, I literally mean getting myself out of the centre of my world and allowing Jesus to be the king of it. Getting myself out of the centre of my world and allowing Jesus to be the king of it. Um, I want to uh, sort of, we, we spoke last week about how also humility really is about having just a right view of ourselves, not a lofty view, not a view where we sell ourselves undervalued, but we have a sober reality about ourselves. And uh, I use the illustration of my son has this amazing digital camera and we can just take millions of photos with that thing. It's fantastic. And then you can go through afterwards and pick the ones that are great and throw the rest out. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing with that bit of technology. But one of the things that is very glaringly obvious about digital technology and photographs is they're extremely honest. They don't miss a single crack, pimple, grey hair, random eyebrow, whatever. They, a digital technology it gets the lot, gets the whole lot. And when you look at that in reality, in real time, when you look at those photos, there is a sober picture of who you are. Sobering in the sense of you actually come into a place of realising that's what I actually look like. 
without all the, you know, the show and all the bits and pieces, that's, that's who I really am. That's what I look like. And it's sort of, sometimes it's a little different to the way I think I look. <laughs> but that's what I really look like. And it's interesting, you know, Paul in, in Romans 12, 3, we mentioned last week, he's, he said, for the grace given to me, by the grace that's given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you, than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and in accordance with the measure of faith that's been given you. Well, <clears throat> I don't... You know, when I was reading that scripture again this week about sober judgment, one of the things the Lord sort of revisited to me was my not-so-sober moments in life. Not-so-sober moments. Where I didn't have a sober perspective of myself and even some of my activities were not sober. Rather, they were heavily intoxicated or inebriated, both with my own ego and substances. And... One of the things that, you know, insurance agencies have to deal with nowadays is young men under 25 who have not got a sober judgment of themselves when it comes to driving vehicles. That's why if you're under 25, your insurance policy is way up here. And then when you get to about my age in the 40s, I still think it's too expensive. But anyway, it's not as extreme as if I was under 25. And that's because there's still a developmental process taking place for young men to actually get a sober opinion of themselves. Now, if I think back to when I was a young bloke and driving a car and first got my licence, I thought I was like Peter Brock reincarnated. I could do anything in a car. I could put it around that corner at high speed. Uh, I, I could do all that. So I could rally drive a, a, a mum and dad vehicle. You name it, I could do it all. And I try. And some of the times it cost me a lot of money. Because, no, no, it cost me money. It cost me money. I had to sell all my stuff to pay for the damage that I did. Cost a bit of ego over here, but it cost me everything. Because I didn't have a sober judgment of myself. I thought I was someone else. I thought I was capable at this level. I thought I was bees, knees, all that. This is who I am when I get behind the wheel of a car. And I proved the insurance companies correct in their opinion of young men under 24. But Paul says, Paul says, when it comes to who you are in relationship with yourself, in your relationship with God, and your relationship with others in the body of Christ and to the world, have a sober judgment about yourself. Don't be more than you are, but don't undervalue who you are. Don't be too lofty in your opinion of yourself, but have a really good understanding of this is who I am. Now, we touched on this last week that... Um, well, we touched on this last week where we said that um, sober judgment of ourselves or having a, a, a good understanding of ourselves is not being um, down on ourselves and lowering ourselves, but actually coming into the fullness of Jesus' love for our life. And in Jesus, what we see is God taking on flesh, 
humbling himself and coming and dwelling with us and showing us what it means to have relationship with ourselves, with God, with the followers of God and with others. It's all about being grafted into the reality of who Jesus is. And if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up again to Philippians chapter 2 because we're going to just keep pounding out this scripture until our life is conformed to the authority of this scripture. Okay? Someone once said many years ago about, about my dad when he used to preach a lot. And they used to sit here a lot. And, uh, they, and he would get up and he'd say, well, we're going to teach this message again today. And that person would go, really? You're like an old broken record. He says, well, I'll stop preaching it when we get it. <laughs> you know, it's like till our lives are conformed and shaped by the power of the word. Let's, let's not fleet over it. Let's allow it to do its work in us. Philippians chapter 2. Let's go there again. Verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Jesus Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, before I go on, a little Bible reading tip. When I read the Bible, the uh, paper version, you can do it with apps and things as well. You can highlight stuff. But every time I read that same scripture, you may not be able to see it from here, but I have about five different um, entries with different coloured pens and few highlighters, lots of ticks, circles, um, lines drawing words from one word to another. Um, I have all this sort of stuff because every time I read it, the Holy Spirit illuminates another bit of it that I missed last time. Every time... You approach the Bible, the Word of God. You will, even if you think you're reading, I've read that a hundred times. There will be a moment of revelation for you every time. Note it. Scribble it in there. Write all over it. And if this one wears out, get yourself a new one. But this is, how, this is a good way to learn. It's a good way to learn. And actually allow this to soberly you know, transform our life. Uh, verse 3. Do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. You know, just let your brain get around that a little bit. Don't rush past that. We're talking about the one through whom, Paul talks about this, the one through whom all things holds together. All of creation holds together. He humbled himself, he took on flesh and became a servant. So, so... I know that's really hard to get your brain around, and it's hard for mine to do that as well. But what Paul's saying is God constrained himself to human flesh to show us there's another way. It's pretty awesome when you think about it. And being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. That's because every time the Lord says, through invitation of relationship, and he says, come this way with me, or will you do this for me? There comes a moment of sacrifice. You have to sacrifice to be able to enter into the greater reality that he's, he's got for you every time, even when you think you've got it all. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in, the absence, in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Hmm. Isn't it interesting that his good purpose surfaces the things we fear and tremble most over? Did you get that? Isn't it interesting that his will and good purpose is to surface everything that we fear and tremble over? He's a good God. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too may be glad and rejoice with me. Last week we spoke about how the nature of pride is like thus. It said, we, we, we got ourselves a working definition and it was this. Pride is the ploy and the work of the enemy of God towards the heart and the mind of a person to undermine their confidence in the goodness of the love of God. And it is an awakening of a desire to therefore be God for ourselves. And we, we spoke about how Adam and Eve went through that experience in the garden. And as a result of their elevating themselves, they were, the, the scriptures tell us at the end of Genesis 3, they were cast out. They were cast out of what was rightfully theirs to have dominion and life in. But they were cast out because they elevated themselves above and they no longer took confidence in God's love for their life. He was, they chose him to be untrustworthy. We looked at Satan and the origins of Satan in Isaiah chapter 14, the enemy of God. The, the scriptures there alludes to, it's one of our strongest sort of allusions to the origins of the enemy of God in the scriptures in Isaiah 14, and he's, he, he, the scriptures there talk about how he said, I will, I will elevate myself and I will be God, and I'll seat myself in the highest places like the most high. And because of that, the scriptures say, 
he was therefore cast out of the presence of God. And the early church fathers, we discovered last week in 1 Peter and in the book of James, they continued to remind the followers of Jesus, don't forget people. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride, as C.S. Lewis rightly states, it's a, it's a spiritual cancer. And today I want to share just a few of the moments where I've personally experienced these kind of moments of invitation to knowing more of the confidence and the goodness and the generosity of God's grace and power in overcoming, as Paul would describe it, my own vain conceit or selfish ambition. True humility. Verses 3 and 4 there, Paul says this. He says, Don't do anything, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, for Paul, this is a really powerful exhortation. This is a very strongly worded exhortation to the people of Jesus. And at the same time, it's an invitation to living in the power of the humility of Jesus and who he is as a humble king. And, um, you know, this week I was reading one of C.S. Lewis's classic works called Mere Christianity. Many of you may have read that. If you haven't, it's a classic Christian work and you should read it. But in it, there's this little chapter called The Great Sin. And he, and he goes, C.S. Lewis goes after the whole issue of pride and he describes it quite well. But at the same time, he, he describes for us humility and he says it like this. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. Let's just say that again. C.S. Lewis said, true humility... Is not, is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself addresses the fact that God has placed incredible honour on you as his creation. It establishes and addresses the fact that God has placed incredible honour upon you and me because he's humbled himself to make himself known and approachable. He's taken on flesh through the sending of Jesus, his humility, to even then through obedience go to the cross. Therefore, we are all of extreme worth and value to God. Each of us. And therefore, the whole thinking of, well, I'm not really anybody, is actually, or I'm not really worth it, or I'm not really capable, this, now I'm speaking to the Christian here, to have that kind of poverty of mindset is to actually be bearing the fruit of the enemy because we've misplaced our confidence and we've agreed with the enemies lie over who we are and our capacities rather than leaning into 
the generosity and the confidence of God who he has established and said once and for all, you are of great worth to me through the sending of Jesus. So therefore, whenever we go into these places of when someone might um, ask of us or spot us and go, you know what, there's something about your life that is really great and, and, and I, need, I need you to help me in my workplace. You know, we in Australian culture, we get into this really, it's just this bogus thing. Oh, you know, I don't, I'm not really anybody. Well, no, that's crap. You are somebody. You are somebody. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Because God humbled himself to show you you are of extreme worth. Well, I'm not really able. Well, no, that's a lie too. I'm speaking to the Christian who's been filled with the very spirit of the living God, who's anointed you with the first fruits of heaven and marked you for eternal life and well-being now and into the age to come, to say that oh, I, am not, I haven't got really in, that's a lie. You have the spirit of the living God on you, in you, residing with you, communing with you. Well, I'm not really good enough, I'm not. You know, one of the things is, we here at the Vineyard, we love to feed the poor and pray for the sick. We love to feed the poor and pray for the sick. And yet, in my umpteen years of being a part of this movement, not just here at Pine Rivers, but across the globe, across the planet, the two issues that we continue to confront time and time again is the lack of confidence and understanding of who we are when we have a right picture of ourselves because we are humble people, we're not a proud people, but a proud person says, that sickness is too great for me to address. That's what a proud person does. That sickness is too big for me to deal with. That's what pride is, because pride in that moment is saying, I don't have the capacity to address it. And you're elevating our thinking above the truth of the honour of God on our life that says, I've anointed and appointed, I've authorised, now go into all the earth. Cast out demons, heal the sick, feed the poor, and proclaim the kingdom of God is here now. And yet whenever, you know, I, now I, I just, I love you all immensely, but I'm really, really jack of responses that says, I've got, I, I can't be near the poor. It's not within me. I'm not able. I've I got nothing to bring. Lies, lies, and lies. That's the elevation of fleshly pride. Now, I'm speaking honestly and in love here, but grace does come with truth. And it does open us up to an invitation that says, come with me into life through Christ. Everyone in here, has the capacity to love the poor, to love those we on, in the natural, on the surface, can't stand to be with. And I'm not just talking about the poor here. I'm just talking about people in general.
See, there's, some, there's supposed to be something so magnificently different and glorious about the body of Jesus in the earth. that looks at poverty, that looks at broken people, that looks at difficult circumstances, that looks at all of these confronting truths that have been as a result of the work of the enemy. Those confronting things. And we're all anointed and called by God to, to, to be his chosen people, to bring his rule and reign to that circumstance. Not one of us is illegitimate. Not one of us is unauthorized. I'm speaking to the Christian. Self-disqualification. We want, might call it brokenness or a way of thinking that we've inherited. And yes, it may well be. But let me tell you where its roots are. Pride. Its roots are pride. And every time we engage with that and give ourselves to the dynamics of pride, we cast ourselves out of the life and the flow and the power and the authority and the, the grace of our Jesus on our life to deal with everything that he brings before us each day. You ever find yourself in situations where God puts you and you're just like fear and trembling begin? That's why he's brought you there. That's why he's brought you there. Because like Paul said in Philippians 2, he wants us to work out our salvation through that fear and trembling and, and enter into the power of a humble life yielded and given to the authorizing honor and love of God on us. That's why we fear and tremble. Pay attention to when you fear and tremble. That's the invitation of God saying, see that? I'm bringing you out of that. And I'm bringing you into a fullness of life that you do not know of. True humility is, nothing, is not thinking less of ourselves. It is thinking of ourselves less. Well, what are we thinking more of if we're thinking of ourselves less? Well, the best way to establish that is to say that we are thinking of Jesus. Lord, King, Saviour, Friend. God's grace established his love and his honour over all of us. But he's inviting every single one of us into everyday living with him. Lord of all the earth. <laughs> Lord of all the earth. I just keep hearing that banging through my head. Lord of all the earth. We love Lord of all the heavens too. But sometimes, as the old car sticker says, we're so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. But he is Lord of all the earth as well. Thinking of ourself less or becoming aware. That's why God has gifted the world with the church. Even the church hasn't woken up to this yet. God has gifted the world with the gathering of the people of Jesus who realise that when we get together, we don't necessarily in and of ourselves have all of the capacities to resolve every issue and circumstance and sickness and, and so forth within ourselves. But when we get together, 
and choose to say, Jesus is Lord, there we see heaven opened and the resources that are needed come gushing forth in all situations and circumstances. And the enemy will do everything he can to try and prevent that flow of heaven on earth. How did, how did God demonstrate the fruit and the power of thinking less of himself? Like I said, and Paul articulates in Philippians 2, he took on flesh and came and dwelt among us. He took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us in Jesus. How did God um, move and demonstrate in the power of the fruit of true kingdom life where we think less of ourselves? Well, Jesus, he healed the sick. He fed the hungry. Bottom line is, Jesus got involved. Jesus got involved. He got sweaty. He got dirty. He got involved in people's lives. Humility calls us to get involved. It's a gift from God to think less of ourselves. I mean, I get so tired of just being consumed with my own thoughts about my own well-being. It's such a it's such a spiral. <laughs> a downward one. It's such a place of captivity. But when Jesus, when my eyes are on him, the fruit and the power of his kingdom helps me to get involved in life, in relationships, in the plight of the needs of others, as well as for myself. Not thinking less of myself, because Paul says it quite clearly there. He says, have a concern for those around you as well as yourself. See, God loves you. He's not wanting you to love someone at the else at the expense of your needs. No, he, he wants you to love them because he, and he also wants you to know that he's concerned about meeting your need as well. And that's why he's gifted us with relationship. That's why he's gifted us with the church. Because you, believe it or not, well, I hope you do, you guys are a gift to me. A gift and I know sometimes I don't behave like it, but <laughs> I'm a gift to you. And that's not a lofty thinking. That's not a proud statement. That's not a anything like that. That's just, that's just a snapshot of grace on my life that God's given me for your well-being. Even as he's put it on your life for my well-being. And for the well-being of the people that you're sitting with here today. And the well-being of those that aren't here today. For those that don't know Jesus in your workplace. For those who are sick. For those who are hungry. For those who are marginalised. You guys are a gift. You know what? You're a, you are part of God's solution to the very people in Nepal right now. Did you know that? You're part of his solution. You're part of his kingdom people. For all the people in Nepal right now who've lost homes and family. And I just remind you, please pray for our vineyard family in Nepal. Not exclusively, but please remember them because they're family to us. A number of them have lost their homes. 
But to enter into the fruit and the power of this life of the kingdom means to get involved. And when Jesus becomes king, he cares for our life and the lives of those that we love. He also cares for the lives of those that we want to love. And he even cares for those that we struggle to love. But it is here that we find life in all its fullness. Um, Carl Tuttle was here a couple of weeks ago. And when he was here, um, I, I had a, a small gathering and meeting with him with some folk. And um, Carl shared this story of how in recent years, well, not, not so long actually, not even a year, a young lady in um, his area, in his town, she was a dancer and she was a young, in, in her late teens, a beautiful young lady, she contracted a disease and very quickly as a result of that disease found herself in hospital and the disease ate um, both her legs and her arms and they basically had to amputate. I'm trying to remember the name of the condition, it just eats the body and so they had to amputate quickly to save her life. And so now is this, this young lady, no arms, no legs, who is a dancer and loves Jesus. And she says, <coughs> she says, I want, I want Carl to come and visit me. And Carl was sharing that when that invitation for him to come and visit her in hospital arrived, he felt completely empty. What on earth could I bring or say to someone who's going through this? And all this, he, he described all this fear and Anxiety rose up in him. A bit like Philippians 2, Paul talks about it. God was bringing him to a precipice moment, a threshold moment. All that fear and anxiety was rising in Carl. And ultimately, he went into the room to be with her. And now they are amazing friends and she, she's got an amazing testimony of God in the midst of all of this. But after he shared that, I said, Carl... What did you find when you went through the door and into the room that you were fearful about? He said, I found grace. I found grace. The love of Jesus awaits us. The grace of God, the bounty of of the love of God awaits us on the other side of these moments of fear and trembling. As we walk it out with the, with the comfort and the help and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and the, the concern that we share for each other along the way, even as we are concerned for our own needs. Could you imagine a world where people lived like what we're talking about this morning? Can you, could you just... Allow God to paint a vision of that in your spirit and your mind today, of what the world could be like as the Lord of all the earth is at work through people like you and me, through the body of Christ. A number of years ago, this was like a number of years ago, I'm talking like when Caitlin was like, like two or 
even, you know, three. I think we had, she must have been three because I think Luke was on the scene. Um, but at that time, Nicole and I thought to ourselves, we have a hope and a desire to send our children to a school, certain school. But it costs money. But we felt like that was what the Lord had put in our heart to do. And so, as a result of that, we decided right then, when they were just three and one, to start putting a little bit of money aside, building up a little account so that we could help pay their tuition fees and get school life going for them. And we had managed to save $1,500, which at that time for us, we were going like, well, it still is. But it was like, that's a big effort. That's a lot of money. But it's for our children. It's for their well-being and their education. And then one day, I'm sitting with one of the members of the life of our church, and he was just sharing with me how he's blind, going blind in one eye. And I said, oh, mate, how, you know, we prayed. The kingdom was delayed, so there was not immediate healing in his eye. And we contended for quite some time. But he went and saw a doctor, and the doctor said, yes, we can, we can do surgery on that. And, um, and see that fixed, that condition fixed. And, and my friend said to me, he said, but I don't have the money for that. And I said, oh, well, how much would an operation like that cost? $1,500, he says. And as soon as he says it, the Holy Spirit just leaps in my heart. It says, Kirk, you know your children's education fund? All the fear and the trembling. But Lord, what about? What about my kids? What about them? I'm, this is for them. He says, Kirk, you can fix this man's eye if you just follow me. And I know your needs. So I went home and I said, hey, Nick, guess what? <laughs> She's become accustomed to these kind of conversations I have. I said, because I'm risking relationship at that moment too, you know, it's like, let's really do this. So I said, Nick, guess what? You know the kids' education fund that we've managed to raise 1500 bucks. I was with so-and-so today that, you know, and she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, guess what? Doctors can fix his eyes for $1,500, and that's exactly what we have in that bank account, and we should give it to them. She was like, okay. She was processing. I said, I'll come back to you later and... We can talk some more. And we did, and she, and she said, you know what, that's, that's just right. And she said these words. I still remember it. She said, we don't even have to pray about that. Now, why don't we have to pray about that? Because that's what the kingdom does. The kingdom says, you need, I have, here go. Because I know that as I have need, he knows, and he'll stir someone else to care for me. And you know what? That education fund never really got off the ground ever again. <laughs> and Caitlin is in her final year of high school at that very school. Point is, God has made provision all that way along the way. See, I could try... 1,500, no probs. Because you know what... 
I need and the desires in my heart and the well-being of my family. You've got it covered, Lord. The healing took place and my children haven't missed out on something that we felt like the Lord said was for them. Isn't God good? You see, I had to empty the bank though and give him the $1,500 to, ent- to step through that moment of fear and trembling so that salvation could have its way in me, its work in me, and that I could come into, like Carl described, what's on the other side of that threshold, the grace of God, the honour of God on us. He cares for us. He knows what we need. I love that story. It just stirs my heart every time I think of it. We didn't pray for it, but here's what we discovered. There was a moment where we had to choose to say, yes, God, even as Jesus said, yes, Father, even though it led him to a place of sacrifice on a cross. It only led us to a sacrifice of $1,500. Pales in significance. But the power of that informed the power of that $1,500. We discovered that there, was, there is these moments where we need to say yes, And then we had to say, oh, that's a great, move beyond, that's a great idea to, so how is this going to play out? How am I actually going to walk this out? That's where discipleship kicks in. And we got involved with the invitation of God. Just think for a moment, where are all of the areas in your life and mine right now where God is saying, come get involved? And for fear and trembling... And our lack of confidence in the goodness of God has kept us out of a greater, richer, and ever-increasing experience of the grace of God on our life. Where are those moments? Where are those thresholds right now? Is it for your marriage? Is it for your retirement? Is it for your children? Where, where is it? Is it work where where is the threshold right now where the fear and the trembling is rising i had to follow god i had to get involved i emptied the bank account i gave the money to my friend and i entered into the joy that my friend experienced i entered into his joy and through that i then <laughs> found joy as well I had to tell my anxiety, my selfishness, my desire to want to be the center. Hey, Kirk, Jesus is Lord and he's aware of my needs and he has them all covered and his grace is completely sufficient and he's placed me in the context of a relationship with a community of faith that cares for me even as they care for themselves. Isn't that a wonderful reality to live in? So here's my encouragements. I just want to be very practical right now. Finish off here. Here's my encouragement. Be quick and listen and follow the invitations of Jesus. That's, that's, that's my, like, take home. <laughs> All right? 
Be quick to listen and follow the invitations of Jesus in your relationships at work, at, in your relationships, in your kinship small groups, in your relationship to you, your marriages and your parenting towards the poor and the helpless and the harassed and the isolated. Be quick and listen and follow the invitations of Jesus. Be quick and listen to the, and follow the invitations of Jesus in the use of his time at work through your life. Hear that again. Be quick and listen to the, the administration of his time through your life. Because remember, our life died when we went into the waters of our baptism and we said, okay, my life for yours, so you now live in me. It's your time. In your in your following his best invitations to using his time for the greater glory of his name and your well-being and joy. In the, in, in, listen and follow his invitations into the expenditure of his energy which is at work in the members of your body. So when, guys, when you're confronted with porn... And you feel like you can't anymore resist the power of that. Stop elevating your own capacity and throw yourself into the generosity of the love of Jesus to conquer that in you and show you there's a better way. In the members of your body, let his energy be at work in you. Oh, you know what? I'm fatigued. I just can't go out. You know what? This week, I just, I, I got to say, I watched a bloke, and he's no spring chicken this week. He is not a spring chicken. He's an older bloke. But I watched him this week, and he received phone call after phone call after phone call. Can you please help? Can you please help? Can you please help? And this fella, he works full time. He has a, he has a wife to care for as well. And he has his own businesses that he's trying to run and, and pay the bills and all of the normal realities of life. And he got phone call after phone call after phone call saying, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And not once did he say no. And I bumped into him yesterday and I said, how are you doing? And as, as he got up and he was like, ooh, all right. You could see he was... He, he had been operating out of the energy of Christ who was at work in the members of his body so that he could be, like Paul, poured out as a lifestyle. That's just so countercultural, isn't it? <laughs> when you think about it, totally countercultural. And also be quick and listen to following Jesus' invitations with your finances. Be generous according to God's leading, not your ability to manage people's circumstances and needs. Look for the moments when the Holy Spirit says, here's an opportunity for you to be poured out. Poured out. I love that bit there where Paul says, uh, he, he kind of, it feels like he kind of wavers a little bit there in verse 16. He says, you know, in which you shine like stars of the universe as you hold out the word of life. And then he sort of, sort of in order that, he starts to put himself back into the centre of the picture, not because he's proud or egotistical, but because there's a, there's a sense for Paul, this, this pays, this, this pays. And the pay for him is that he might boast on the day of Jesus' return that he didn't run and labour for nothing. That as he presented the people to the Lord, he could say, look at that, God, 
Look at them. It wasn't for nothing. Look at how awesome they are. And then he goes on, but even if I am, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, in other words, that's what it felt like. I'm being spent. Now that one, my friends, is completely counterculture to the spirit of this age, which says preserve, save, defend, hold the ground, do not give away. He says, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. See, there's a connection. There's a connection for Paul to be able to say, it's okay to pour my life out because your faith story stimulates me wanting to give more. See, there's a connection. It's not because of, it's not because of the sacrifice and the service of his life He's saying, no, it's the people I get to do kingdom life with in this earth. And it's out of their sacrifice that causes my heart to humble itself and agree with the work of the Spirit and say, I'm pouring myself out. Everything I've got, I'm being poured out. Look for the moments where God says, let's pour out. Let's pour out our life. There is a connection there that we need to um, get a hold of. Find a, and finally, find a place in the body of, ch- of the church where you deliberately choose to serve. To serve the well-being of those that you sit among and pray for and do life with. Servant living. That's what Jesus did. In Matthew 5, 5, when Jesus is on the mountain, finishing here, in his sermon on the mount, he says, these kind of people inherit the earth. The what kind of people? The meek. Who are the meek? The ones who have a disposition... or or a disposition of their heart towards engaging with the love and grace of God's honouring on their life with him as king. And what do they inherit? The earth. His kingdom comes into every earthly experience you walk. Humility, humility, the way of the kingdom.